Rapid City, South Dakota is not the easiest place to get to. Located hundreds of miles from a large city, it is not a place where a traveler would just happen to pass through on their way to someplace else. Yet thousands of people go there every year, and I will admit that I was one of them. My wife and I were moving across country with three small children and one large dog. Such a trip requires careful planning. There needs to be a plan for food and restroom stops, as well as opportunities for everyone to burn off some pent-up energy and frustration. One of our planned stops was just outside of Rapid City. But it was for more than just a break from the hours of driving. Rapid City is where you go to see Mount Rushmore. I wanted to see the giant carved faces on the side of the mountain and wanted to share that incredible sight with my wife and children, making a memory we could share for the rest of our lives. So we traveled hours out of our way to see this magnificent work of art. I can tell you what I felt when I saw it. Disappointment. Mount Rushmore was not what I had imagined it in my mind. The visitor center was far away from the carvings. I could not get much sense of the scale of the faces. That day the crowds were bad, the weather was hot, and my kids were afraid of the many bees flying around. And on top of all of that, my children don't even remember seeing it. There have been many times I have experienced disappointment. Something was not as grand or exciting as I imagined it, or how I had pictured it in my mind. I have been disappointed in the outcome of events like an election, as I was convinced the wrong person got elected. I have been disappointed in a decision or judgment, knowing that justice was not served that day. I have been disappointed by people that I thought were true friends, that later abandoned me, betrayed me, failed me, or hurt me. I have missed opportunities, lost something I could not replace, and failed miserably when I should have succeeded. I have been disappointed in myself, in others, and in events. Psalm 96 is a song that says, I will never be disappointed in God. That is a bold statement and claim. My instinct is to view that claim like so many others, a disappointment and heartbreak waiting to happen. But for a moment, examine with me a different way of thinking. Remember that one of the great blessings of looking at the Psalms is getting a close look at the relationship between God and his people. In the Psalms, we get to ask some personal questions about God. What does he value? Who does he honor? How does he view the actions and attitudes of different people? How should we view our relationship with God? The interesting thing that is missed by many is that these songs and poems return time and again to a couple of themes. One of those recurring themes is joy. We can understand that there is joy in relief when a bad situation has been resolved or in forgiveness. But even more fundamental is the idea that to know God is to celebrate. The end of Psalm 96 is one example. The heavens will be glad and the earth will rejoice. Even the sea and everything that fills it will roar. The field and all that is in it will rejoice. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy in his presence. One fourth of July, my wife and I had dinner reservations at a restaurant overlooking a large urban area. The restaurant was on the hillside about a thousand feet above the valley. 
As evening came, we began to see different 4th of July firework shows across the area. While on the ground they look spectacular, but from above they looked really quite small and insignificant. But picture what is described here in this psalm. The whole of the sky is blazing in celebration, along with the sea, the earth, and all they contain. It is an overwhelming expression of joy, and it is all connected with God. In our popular culture, we have been told from man's wisdom that God is not fair. Many have been sold on the idea of the God of unkindness, unfairness, and cruelty. In many ways, they are placing the failures of men as the face of God. But that is not what we see here. How could the whole of our world erupt in celebration if God was cruel or unjust? The last line of the song says, For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. There is a word used here that many people don't like. They are not comfortable with the word judge. It sounds, well, judgmental. But this is a powerful idea that you and I use and need every day. Have you ever picked up a bag of oranges and found inside an orange that had turned blue with mold and smelled really bad? I love oranges, but I cannot imagine eating one in that condition. That is judgment. A judgment that is important, necessary, and healthy. This song talks a couple of times about God's judgment, but it is in terms that should encourage us. Verse 10 says, God judges with equity. This means he judges each equally and fairly. I have found these two ideas very rare in our world. The second is, he will judge with his truth. Imagine for a moment hearing the complete and absolute truth and having a decision made fairly based on that truth. I guess that the contrast to this is that I feel I am cheated and lied to every day. I struggle with looking around at the people and events and completely or absolutely trusting anyone. They may be genuinely mistaken. They may have been misled themselves. Or they may be lying to my face. I am constantly asked, what is their agenda? What do they want from me? What are they trying to pull? Like most people, I learned this lesson the hard way. I was 16 when I got my first car. Not long after I bought it, something broke and it started making a horrible noise. I took it to a repair shop, part of a national chain, and had them look at it. They quoted me a repair price that shocked me. It was about half what I had paid for the whole car. I knew I was being cheated. Someone recommended I talk to another shop, one that they had used. I took them the car and they put it on the lift and looked under it. The mechanic pointed and said, here is your problem. He paused for a moment, then quoted me a price to fix the problem. $14. Over the next few years, I sent 10 people to that same shop and each person was amazed at being treated fairly and honestly. They were always more than willing to pay what was due because they understood it was a fair and true price. They often expressed to me how refreshing it was to deal with an honest mechanic. Whose recommendation would you take? Remember that in this psalm, the sky and the earth and the sea celebrate in joy the God of heaven, 
and they celebrate his truth and judgment because he is fair and just. This verse also speaks to the faithfulness of God. We talked about honest. How about reliable? In simple terms, these verses say God keeps his promises. But there is a deeper and greater theme here. Some approach the topic of God with a detached attitude, almost like they are looking at the face of Mount Rushmore. But God is not static or uninvolved. Remember when we talked about Psalm 15, and it began with the question, who will be a part of God's household? That is a promise. There is a place of safety and hope, and it is guaranteed by the one who always keeps his word. But why the celebration? A few verses earlier, the poem says that the Lord of truth and integrity is also the one who rules and does so fairly. Beginning in verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Declare among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, he established the world so that it will not falter. He will judge people fairly. While the scene of celebration continues through the poem, there are some ideas here that can be challenging. The poem says, Tremble before him all the earth. One of the most common questions I am asked is about the idea of fearing God. Some consider this to be a deal breaker. They do not want to be afraid. But I think there is more here than the terror someone would rightly feel in the presence of someone that wanted to hurt them. That is not the situation we have with God. But remember, this is a poem of celebration and joy. The idea translated fear is the idea of respect and focus. A seasoned airline pilot once wrote about flying a plane, aviation in itself is not inherently dangerous but to an even greater degree than the sea. It is terribly unforgiving of any carelessness, incapacity, or neglect. This could be said about many things from rock climbing to power tools. Using a table saw carelessly means you might lose your fingers. But a person frozen by terror will never approach the table saw, never climb the mountain or fly the plane. God does not want us frozen in terror but wants us to understand that this is serious stuff and is deserving of your full attention. The poem says, Give God the honor and respect he is due. This idea shows up many places in the Bible. King Solomon, a name synonymous with wisdom, wrote a book examining the world around us. He was powerful and prosperous, but still saw the foolishness, the greed, the corruption, the injustice, and most of all, the futility of much of what man does. He would conclude that it is of first importance to honor and respect God and what he says. Psalm 96 also mentions the qualities of God. Strength, beauty, majesty, splendor. It also mentions our reactions to these things. If you have been following along, you will recognize that I have been taking you through Psalm 96 backwards. We began with the last three verses and then went towards the beginning. Here is the reason I did it this way. The psalm begins with our response to the greatness and wisdom of God. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. 
proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. The idea of singing a new song has to do with the uniqueness of God. I'm not singing the same song or thinking the same way about God as I would anything or anyone else. Look with fresh eyes and sing with a new song and greater understanding. And with that different understanding of the God of heaven comes delight and elation. Look at the joy and celebration expressed here. But how could we sing a song dedicated to him, honoring him, telling of his rescue and mercy, if we did not know him or what he had done? But we now can celebrate because we know he deserves all the praise. He is the one that knows and tells us the truth. He keeps his promises and judges fairly and honestly. He is the God of rescue and help. He is the God of beauty, strength, majesty, and splendor. Our voice is a part of the chorus that includes the sky, the earth, the sea, and all that they contain. We approach God not in terror, but with respect and honor. This is the God that deserves my praise and worship, and that is what this poem is about. If I am not blinded by man's ideas of God, if I can see God clearly, understand who he is and how awesome he is, I can honor him and respect his commands to me. He is worthy to be trusted and followed. And one more thing I see from Psalm 96. When I seek, understand, and follow God, when I truly see him, I will never be disappointed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want additional information, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on our website at truthseekers.org. That's truthseekers.org.